It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's James. Uh, back again after the live recording of the news meeting at Kite. If you haven't heard it, please do. It should be in your feed right now. Right, let's get started. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. This is more than a war of words now, isn't it? This is Rishi Sunak taking on Boris Johnson and his allies within the Conservative Party. Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because I didn't think it was right. The Privileges Committee has concluded that Boris Johnson deliberately misled the House of Commons, committing a serious contempt. The former First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, has been released without charge, pending further investigation. She'd earlier been arrested in connection with an ongoing investigation into the Scottish National Party's finances. Three dead and a further three are in hospital after a major incident in Nottingham. We have children who were taken away prematurely from us. That should never happen to any parent. But all I can say to all of you guys is that thank you things you did for our daughter and Bonnie. I'm joined today by Giles Wattel, Kat Nealon, Basha Cummings. Hello. Hello. Welcome all. As ever, you've each come with one story. Let's go in a single sentence. Long story short, Giles, you go first. Panamanian draft dodges. Uh-huh. Kat? Peer group pressure. Well, I think I know where we're going with that. And Basha? Gilead Rising. Oh, Okay, what's that? So this is the story of a 44-year-old woman who this week in the United Kingdom has been jailed for more than two years uh, for procuring an abortion beyond the legal limit, which is 24 weeks. So she used the pills by post scheme, which was introduced during the pandemic, which is where you can have a a consultation by phone or online and you will be sent uh, the, the pills that you need to end your pregnancy so long as you're before 10 weeks. After 10 weeks, you have to go to a clinic and they will assess whether you should have the pills or whether you have a a surgical abortion. Um, And this, the sort of important context of this was that she was later found when she was taken to hospital after she had taken the pills that she was in fact around 32 weeks pregnant, so far beyond the legal limit. Um, The child was stillborn and the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, decided to prosecute her. Um, And she will now spend half of her sentence in in custody and half on license. Um, She has three children. One of them is uh, disabled. And the judge in his sentencing remarks uh, noted that there were mitigating circumstances in her case that she had to move in with her estranged partner because of the lockdown. The child that she was carrying was not his and that added to an emotional turmoil that she felt that she had to end the pregnancy. Um, So, And it's a case that this week has, has blown up in this country 
And the reason I say Gilead Rising is I think it, it is part of a bigger conversation about the slide backwards in, in for, well, women's rights. Well, well, let's try and do all of those things separately, including the Gilead Rising, mm-hmm. Margaret Atwood, Handmaid's Tale, sort of cultural background to it. You make the point, Basher, about her having returned to an estranged partner, having children already, the psychological pressure. It's also the case it's a very late term abortion, 32 weeks. So, Past the point of viability. So you're, So, what is the argument there? What was her explanation there? Was she unaware of that or do we not know that in the nature of the case? It, it looks like she was aware. Um, but it's important to say that um, a doctor can choose to perform a very late-term abortion if it is deemed that there is a danger to the mother or to existing children. So it's possible that if she had sought the care that she needed, that she would have been able to have an abortion. So it's not impossible at, yeah. at that late stage. Where where this is, where this and case... Extremely unusual, right? Very un- unusual. I think the statistics are that the percentage of abortions performed at 20 weeks is just 1%. Um, and after 24 weeks, it's about 0.1%. Right. So we're talking tiny, tiny numbers of women. Um, so I think where this case is, is, I guess, tricky is because she was using a service that, w- that, was, that is designed to be safe within a certain window. That up to 10 weeks, it is safe to take pills at home that will end a pregnancy. After that point, you, if you want to have an abortion, you will have to go to a clinic and they will assess whether what, what kind of abortion is safe for you. Um, but endangering yourself and, you know, that, that's a different so, so then let's get into the CPS decision. What was the thinking or what was the explanation of the Crown Prosecution Service in saying, not, we, we need to take this case to court, we need to seek a conviction and we need to seek a custodial sentence, a prison sentence? So interestingly, this is a case when, 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 you know, when we think about who's responsible, where did this go wrong, you can see that the judge and the CPS in this case are trying to push it back to parliament. So the Crown Prosecution Service said through their spokesman that this, they said this is a very rare, complex and traumatic case. And they said that our prosecutors have a duty to ensure that the laws set by parliament are properly considered and applied when making difficult charging decisions. So they're saying this law exists, and we were duty bound to try and enforce it. But they're saying properly considered. Aren't they making an argument that, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, that unless they enforce laws, the laws themselves won't be respected, either by those people who are expected to obey them or those people who want to tear them down. Because there's context here in their cat, which is that the pills-by-post scheme that Basha mentioned right at the beginning was brought in through the pandemic, am I right? And then, yes. And then, and, and then, and then made, made permanent uh, in 2022. Um, by Parliament? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not without some debate and there have been several debates not just about that but sort of wider issues as well obviously northern ireland um being getting the right to have an abortion Um, but the parliamentary debate was between those people who said look we need to make though those pills accessible to women who are up to 10 weeks pregnant and make that make that easier and those people who said no the risk is exactly what this case illustrates, which is that they'll be made more accessible and that as a result could be used in ways that are 
dangerous, dangerous to the woman, dangerous to the life of the unborn child. Yeah, I mean, there are there are some MPs who um, I, I would say are, are pro-life rather than pro-choice. They may not express it quite as starkly as that. Um, but, you know, we've heard from people like Danny Kruger, who said that he uh, disagreed that pregnant women have the absolute right to bodily autonomy. Um, we've heard from... Uh, Therese Coffey, a cabinet minister, saying that she would rather women didn't have abortions and she actually voted against extending abortion rights to Northern Ireland. There are others. Um, it is a minority. And so just, I guess that's my question, Basha. Is, is there not, because you said, trying to understand what went wrong here, isn't there an argument that some in the Crown Prosecution Service would make, which is, look, we are enforcing this law so that those people who are critics of it are not able to say, actually, we're allowing a free-for-all access to all morning-after pills with uh, dangerous impacts and a spread into late-term abortions. Only by enforcing this law do we make sure that the system is safe and secure uh, and, and in some ways protected from those people who would like to tear that whole system down. I, I think there's legitimacy in that perspective, but I but I can't make the leap from protecting a system that is designed to ensure that women are safe but that they have the health care they need and sending them to jail. Mm -hmm. I think that's the that's where there is a clear problem here, which is what is the public interest in a custodial sentence for a mother of three children? And the judge had a number of, I don't know whether it was a number, but certainly I read one or two um, letters, um, you know, submissions in which yeah. sense he said, look, don't send this person to prison. So so why did the judge do that? So so the, the judge received a letter from a number of the leading medical bodies in the United Kingdom dealing with gynaecology and obstetrics. Uh, so, you know, I think it's an important distinction. Doctors and practitioners, not, not campaigners, okay. not, not people who are... And the judge said... This letter shouldn't have been sent to me because this is an issue for Parliament. And if you want to, if you want to campaign on this, you need to get the law changed. And the judge's it, argument, if I was, I'm right, is saying you wouldn't want me to change my sentencing if I'd been lobbied by yeah. pro-life campaigners. So for that same reason, I'm not going to change my sentencing because the majority of public opinion is with pro-choice. Yes, although the wrinkle with that is that because there are no sentencing guidelines for this, oh, I see. the judge had to look at a comparable case, which I would argue was actually slightly more serious than than this case in that the um, the body of the child was not retrieved following the abortion and, and used that as the guide for this sentencing. And I think that's another problem with this is that again, I think it comes back to the public interest. What is the public interest in jailing a woman at at the cost of the taxpayer to to and keep her away from her children when the harm that she inflicted was on herself. And, and the it? judge recognised that, said that she has been depressed, that she has been in emotional turmoil, that she is haunted by the memory of the unborn child, that she had a real connection with the child. So I think you're right to, to say that there's a sort of systemic question about here about how do we protect robust healthcare for women in this case. But I think then there's a there's a leap to get into the custodial and criminal end of this. But there's an extraordinary coincidence there of the principal and the personal, isn't there? If the judge is saying, you must be haunted by the memory of the unborn child, but I'm still going to insist on hmm. pursuing a 
law that was enacted in 1861. So let's just do that bit of it. Mm-hmm. So the 1861 Act, what was the context for that? So the, the context for this this 1861 Act, which is called the Offences Against the Person Act, um, in, the, in fact, I'll read out a little bit of it because I think even the language gives you a sense of uh, just how old this is. So it says that every woman being with child who with intent to procure her own miscarriage shall unlawfully administer to herself any poison or other noxious thing or shall un- unlawfully use any instrument or other means. And it goes on like that. You know, this is this is before women got the vote in this country. It's before there was any sophisticated understanding of how conception works. Sperm uh, at this point was still uh, considered a parasite. There was no understanding of the roles that the egg and sperm played in in conception, really. And in fact, spermatozoa had only just been given a name by a scientist. So the fact that, you know, a law that was written at that time by men before women had any political agency is now being used to prosecute prosecute a woman in 2023 seems to me to be remarkable. And and just gaming this out, Basha, sorry, I hadn't really thought about this before, but if the 1967 abortion legislation essentially legalised abortion up to 24 weeks, but used the 1861 Act to keep criminal abortions that were unauthorised beyond 24 weeks, isn't the risk of this moment that through one single case, a very, as you say, unusual case, this whole issue gets bounced back to Parliament and against the backdrop of what's happening in the United States and, you know, the political polarisation around so many other issues, we now find ourselves unwittingly having a debate about abortion in the UK in a way that could get quite contentious quite fast. Isn't there more to this case than we'll just sit with this particular judgment by in one court? You're absolutely right that you need a legislative framework for these this very small number of cases beyond 20, uh, 20, 24 weeks. You're absolutely right that a system of rules is useless if it isn't enforced. Um, and that, in a sense, does give a justification for both the CPS in bringing the case and the judge in, in reaching a, a guilty verdict. I don't, th- I, uh, not least to draw attention to the deficiencies in the, in the legislative framework, but I don't think it does. It's pretty just- tough on this 44-year-old exactly. woman to go to prison in order to draw... It justification for the sentencing. No, but I guess what I'm saying is it's just dawning on me that for the better part of a year, we spent time in the UK saying the politics of Roe v. Wade in the States don't apply here. We are going to get a version of that and not just as an echo of Roe v. Wade in the context of Britain's own abortion laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was quite um, noticeable from the NatCon convention um, oh, yeah. a month or so ago that there is this social conservatism, small c strain that is seeping into British politics. I think it is very much a minority at the minute. There were only a few MPs there who spoke about this. And again, Danny Kruger was one of them. Um, but uh, there are campaign groups that are trying to make it happen. Some of them are funded by American institutions. Some of them are not. Giles, what do you think? Is this by sort of obviously a lead story? Yes. In fact, I was thinking as uh, while listening that we were getting in, we were litigating it mm. 
uh, and forgetting that our main job here is to decide whether it's an important story. And regardless of the rights and wrongs of it, it definitely is. And I think the fact that we've been gone way over time. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is it, well, I think it's hard to prove that or the fact that I'm just terrible at timekeeping. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. The risks posed by AI range from bias in decision-making to misinformation and the misuse of personal information, all at an unprecedented scale. Nearly a quarter of UK businesses understand that the regulatory landscape is changing fast, and nearly half are tracking new regulatory guidance to be responsive to emerging best practice. The EY Responsible AI Service helps organisations innovate safely providing confidence that AI and generative AI technologies are developed and managed ethically, transparently and sustainably, and that potential regulatory and reputational risks are identified and mitigated. Discover how you can create a better working world with AI by going to ey.ai. Kat, let's go to your story. Uh, My story is peer group pressure. Um, Now, no guesses for what that is. Uh, the the long-awaited uh, resignation honours list of Boris Johnson. Uh, we finally saw it. It came out as we were in a field in Oxfordshire, <laughs> helpfully, with zero reception. Um, and the names on it were very interesting, uh, as much for the names that weren't on it as for the names that were. Now, um, at first, we all thought that Boris Johnson's honours list was going to be cronies, allies, donors. And there is some of that. But I think the more interesting thing, and one of the things that we pulled out um, in our data uh, visualisation team this week, is the sort of limited amount of public service that a lot of the names have had. And actually, in the course of my reporting uh, today, it seems that uh, there is even less reason for some of them to be on the list than we had originally thought. So, Don't be coy, let's get into that. <laughs> so, Charlotte Owen, until a week or two ago, a name that no one had ever heard of, now all over Twitter with lots of uh, crazy conspiracy theories. But the thing that we know that is true is that she did work in number 10 for a period of time. According to her public profile, she says she worked there from February 2021 until October 2022 when Boris left. However, we have seen public documents that 
uh, name all of the special advisors in Number 10 and the various government departments. She is not in that in 2021. And in 2022, she seems to have a 50-50 job share working in uh, for the chief whip as much as for the prime minister. Um, now, there is another person on the list uh, called Culver Ranger. Uh, now, interestingly, um, again, he is someone whose sources had pointed out to me um, it said on the resignation honours list that he was a special advisor on the UK government's digital strategy. They said he never, he was, they have no recollection of him. I duly look through uh, the same uh, documents. His name is not there. So someone sent me uh, a link to his Wikipedia page earlier, and it does indeed say he is a special advisor to UK government on digital strategy. If you click on the link, it says he met a special advisor uh, in January 2017, he was there representing the company that he works for, Atos, and they discussed digital strategy. So it seems that there has been some confusion about the fact that he is not a special advisor. He never was a special advisor. He met a special advisor several years ago. There are there are there are a few reasons why it's important. Firstly, I know that the he said she said Boris Johnson Rishi Sunak thing is quite exhausting, and we had a conversation about this with I had a conversation with Giles about this earlier this week, and I said I think you need to take a step back and remember just how extraordinary it is for a former prime minister to accuse a current prime minister of lying. This is absolutely unprecedented they are going at it so hard and they are from the same party it is completely unheard of so that is one side the other side of it is this what does this do and what does this say about our country that we have this system where people who have either mistakenly or on purpose have have the wrong information about their work life and therefore we have the wrong information about the extent to which they have provided service yes. to the public they are able to be elevated to the upper chamber of our of our system and play a leading role in scrutinising our laws, blocking them, approving them, what have you, for the rest of their life. Do you think, Kat, this is a sort of small, rather English version of a George Santos story, i.e. that when people look at the CVs, they're not going to be quite as much as they cracked up to be? Well, someone just messaged me at yeah. that very point. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, I hope, around this table. No, no, no. Uh, a, a contact. And I, and, and I responded in kind by saying, do you remember that time when Ian Duncan Smith lied about the extra in his name. I mean, there are there smaller, are perhaps. there are smaller sort of more. Uh, uh, All points. right, Basha, what's your call? Um, I am not surprised by it. Anything to do with Boris Johnson, I think chaos ensues. I think it does shine a light on a system that doesn't seem to be working particularly well. And I think the fact uh, a lot of people were outraged at the fact that Liz Truss gets to give her uh, resignation honours uh, names, but I think. It feels like the sort of last gasp scandal of a party in a death spiral. And for that reason, I think it's interesting to us, but in the scheme of things, not that important. Charles? I would row in behind it as not just a cricket, but a football story. Uh, You showed an admirable appetite for getting at the detail of it and making out that it was a complicated story. It's a simple story. We all know how peers and knights of the realm are chosen by the establishment, right? Mm. What is the establishment? Nobody knows. Does that mean the system is viable? No, it's absolutely not viable and it's uh, ripe for reform. 
And I think that the uh, think of the visual images of the House of Lords, especially the state opening, right? The monarch, the crown, the scepter, all the peers in their ermine. It's from Ruritania. It's a Disney image. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, but, uh, uh, after royal occasions themselves, it is one of those images by which this country is defined, especially in the States. Mm. That's why I think it's a football, not just a cricket story, because it's the I beginning of the end are, of the honour system. People may well look at those pictures and ask, how on earth do you get into that club? Well, there's been a lesson this week. Unelected and mysteriously chosen. Or perhaps you'd say, Charles, not that mysteriously. Let's get to your story. Panamanian draft dodgers. Okay, so last week, the uh, Panama Canal Authority, La Autoridad del Canal de Panama, uh, <laughs> reduced by four feet the maximum draft of big container ships going through the canal. And the reason for that is there isn't enough water left flowing into the locks. Remember, this is not a sea level canal. It goes up and over, and you have to heave these huge ships over. Why is there... Not enough water because rainfall in Central America is falling. Why is it falling? Quite apart from any long-term trends, it's partly because of the El Nino effect, which was officially declared um, to be in action again uh, last week by the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is a cyclical warming of the surface waters of the equatorial Pacific, with, as you may know, vast ripple effects all over the world. It affects uh, global climate uh, roughly every every seven years. And climate change and El Nino are related because the one exaggerates the other. But just to explain me one second, if you reduce the draft of ships going yeah. through the Panama Canal, does that mean you have to get different ships or you have to get ships with less on them? You either have to use smaller ships or you use the same ships and you put less on them. Uh, um, how much less? Like a little bit less? Forty uh, percent uh, less. So oh you lose God. all your economies of scales. The price of shipping goes up, and so Harpag Lloyd, one of the world's biggest shipping companies, has just slapped a five hundred dollar per container uh, Panama Canal surcharge. When you have a, a boat with, I don't know, a uh, thousand containers on, that vastly increases the price of shipping. It increases the price of imports. It drives up inflation. It's one of many ways in which the El Nino effect is going to fuel inflation inflation around the world over the next five years. So you'll have, and presumably you'll have another forcing mechanism, which will be $500 per container, but ships with fewer containers on them, which means there'll be fewer goods available, which means there'll be another pressure on prices. So it's so an El Nino, it's an El Nino slash climate change. Inflation supply effect. chain disruption, just when we thought we were coming out of COVID, and it will be felt at Long Beach, the biggest port in the US, it'll be felt on the other side of the Pacific, it'll be felt in the Gulf of Mexico, it'll be felt in Rotterdam. Basha? I think it's important. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important because this week was one of those weeks where I just kept seeing people pointing to new bits of data that I thought were terrifying related to this. So the the temperature of the top layer of the sea has warmed at an extraordinarily fast rate this year. It's over a degree Warmer. Yes, I didn't see the actual number, but the the, 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 the red line that there's a, there's a, a seasonal uh, uplift, but this is um, much bigger than usual, and that's for the North Atlantic. Yes, yes, and similarly with um, Arctic sea ice in the summer. Now but, being cat, be the uh, devil's advocate on this, which is, yes, Charles, 
of course El Nino is important, of course the Panama Canal is important, of course Harpag Lloyd's container ships are important, but you know, <laughs> if you press me, I'm not exactly sure where any of those things are. I'm not sure how they connect. It feels like a rather esoteric pub quiz. Is it a story that leads the news? So my concern with, sorry Giles, climate change stories is that they always feel so overwhelming and so um, uncontrollable, but also quite far off. But I actually think this one is 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 more immediate because of this inflation issue. Um, and I think this could be one of those ones that does actually cut through because if you start to see the sort of real world impact, especially at a time when it's already a cost of living crisis in a lot of places around the world, um, that could be the thing that sort of starts to actually galvanise people because we all know that this is a problem. The world leaders all know that this is a problem. But there, there's, there's inertia and... They need a sort of political kick up the backside. And actually, you know, what's more of a a, a kick up the backside than your voters not voting for you because they can't afford to buy their food? I completely agree. So it's not a political kick up the backside. My point here is it's economic. That that is what will make the difference. And I just wanted to make... there, there, There are some other interesting specific connections here. So India has already said that it will not export any more sugar until at least at the earliest the first half of next year. That's going to have a global immediate effect on sugar prices. Mm. Um, Just tell me one deal with one other reservation I've got about this story, Charles, which is that it's a bit contrived, (laughs) right? That, That what happens when people are trying to make a point about climate or environmental stories is they look for evidence and then they point to it and say, we told you this is real. And the world's moved on a little bit. My argument to you would be, no, no, we know it's real. We know that climate change is happening. We know that it's having impacts on, you know, prices and and lives and geographies. The stories now need to be about what we're doing about it, not just evidence. Guilty, Your Honour. Um, I don't think it's moved on as, as far as you say, though. But in a sense, it's an optimistic story because the more uh, these concrete, measurable economic impact of climate change pile up, the more likely it is that policy will follow. Mm-hmm. All right, listen, let's try and have a go at working out which of these three stories should lead the news. Um, uh, you're not allowed to choose your own one. This is one of those weeks where actually any of those three stories could, could lead. They really could. Bash, um, you go first. You're not allowed to choose your own, by the way. Um, then I choose the Panama Canal. Do you? Cat? I actually told Giles that I wasn't going to pick his um, before we started, but I lied um, because I have been persuaded uh, by by virtue of the fact that I think it will force some action finally. Giles? Uh, I choose the abortion pills because it shines such an unforgiving light on the state of our laws. All right, very good. Well, I suspect you won't be surprised where I end up. Um, I think that this week, uh, the third story on the list is honours. The reason that it's not one of those stories that you spike, Kat, you say, look, there's an argument for saying we could have done honours every week in the last six weeks. The reason I think that you stick with it, though, and it stays on the, if you like, the sort of top half of any running order, is I think your framing of it, a prime minister versus an ex-prime minister, both of the same party accusing each other of lying, it 
toxifies a party, divides a party, changes the tenor of politics. And I think Giles's point too is that a system that is well beyond creaky has creaked in a way that is incredibly noisy. And I think the story that you've identified, which is the gap between those people, well, what were those people said they do and what it appears they did do means it's going to be even more scrutiny on it. So it it stays on the the, the, the running order, but it comes in third. The second story I know, you know, by the way, we're all used to victories in journalism. Um, the second, uh, the Panamanian Canal story, I think actually is a brilliant spot. I'm being contrary for the sake of it. The, the reason is that it's really hard to make those connections between what's happening environmentally, weather systems, climate change. And this is so simple and clear and numeric. It's four-foot draft. It's a $500 surcharge. Everyone can see that something um, financial, economic is happening, and it's going to end up in their own household budgets or wallets. So I think it's a really good way of making sense of how the uh, changing planet is affecting us personally. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. Senior business leaders in the UK are keen to harness AI, but there's a complex regulatory maze emerging globally. The OECD, a group of the world's richest countries, which includes the UK, has adopted a new set of principles to ensure that AI operates in a way that's safe, fair and trustworthy. The principles are wide-ranging, but in essence, calls for AI systems to be designed in a way that respects the rule of law and human rights, and says there should be transparency around their use. By embracing the core principles of responsible innovation, UK business leaders can better explore sector-specific opportunities and emerging trends without compromising on citizens' trust. Find out more at ey.ai. But Basha, having not paid enough attention to this story as it came in over the weekend, I think you've made me just think about it, the individual case of this woman, let's not lose sight of her being sent to prison, the choice that the Crown Prosecution Service and the judge made. And that's the reason why I think it's not just about the kind of political culture. It's these choices that people in power, the CPS and the judge made, and the obviously conflicted Mm. uh, approach that the judge had to this. And then the fact that an 1861 act that a week ago none of us were really aware of is suddenly forced into the spotlight. And with it, a big British debate to come about abortion means that this week that story leads to the news. So with that, Giles... (laughs) Cat, Basher, thanks for your patience for bearing with us. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next week on the news meeting.